Hi, it's Bill Harvey. Welcome to Harvey at the Undisclosed Location, a series of conversations about creativity, inspiration, and community. Today our guest is Justin Kalifowitz. Justin is founder and CEO of Downtown Music Publishing, a global rights management firm. He's a parent and he's active in a number of community issues locally and nationally. We recorded our conversation at his office in a sun-filled Soho loft. All right, uh, Justin Kalifowitz. Uh, I'm going to throw out some identifiers, I guess, about you, see if you uh, agree Agree or okay with it. I, I, at the age of 23, you were named one of Billboard's top executives 30 under 30. Uh, True fact. (laughs) (laughs) You're founder and chief executive of uh, Downtown Music Publishing, which is a global rights management businesses with offices in uh, New York, uh, Los Angeles, Nashville, Tokyo, Sydney, Paris, London, and Amsterdam. That's what I have written. Yeah. <laughs> I got it right. And uh, a few years ago, you launched Song Trust, which is uh, a rapidly scaling uh, music public publishing uh, technology platform, right? And uh, who knows what else you have cooking. You're a parent. Uh, you're active locally and nationally on a number of community issues. And you serve as board member on organizations like uh, National Music Publishers Association. Indeed. And you're co-founder of a advocacy in New York called New York is Music. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so you've been busy. Yeah. And you got started early. It but, was uh, always uh, always a function of being told by my parents to stay busy Mm. that was they always would say that it was a constant thing around the house stay busy I mean that's what I was gonna what I really ask about next is uh, was there something specific or someone that it's inspired you early on yeah I think both of my parents in very different ways my father um, was in the restaurant business you know came from nothing his parents were immigrants who had nothing and uh, you know he dropped out of school uh, to help around the house when he was very young and take you know odd jobs in, in the restaurant industry and um, he really made a, a life for himself by being an incredibly hard working person most of my childhood he would leave the house far before anyone woke up um, and wouldn't come home uh, until you know dinner time um, if not after that and uh, but he, despite working many hours, was always extremely happy and always like encouraging of us being busy. And it was a, a common refrain. And he's turning 86 this year. And if you call him, the first thing you, he says after, how you doing? Well, I'm keeping busy. Um, <laughs> in fact, we just said it this morning. And in a different way, my mother, who um, you know, was home with us when we were kids and then um, took a job as soon as she felt comfortable leaving us, um, and, and went back to her first love, which was um, being with young kids. And she's a preschool teacher and, and still into her 70s today as a preschool teacher. And just same, same, you, you cannot call 
that house without them having plans to do something, whatever it is. And they love living in New York City and taking advantage of all the things that exist. And if there's free and excellent programming, I promise you my parents have found it. (laughs) And uh, did you have other mentors along the way? Uh, Um, You know, yeah, very close friends of mine, um, you know, and, and, and not to keep it so familial, but like my brother, um, you know, when I I remember when I thought about wanting, like what I wanted to do with my life, um, and I was 13 and I, I had, I felt I had a tremendous amount of pressure because my brother at 15 had already decided he was going to be a television producer, um, and was already doing all of the things that one would do to eventually become a television producer. Um, he has since gone on to be one and very successful television producer, won some Emmys, um, working with HBO, uh, but, and now shifted industries, but he, he was one of those people who just was very heads down. I know what I want to be in my life. And, and when I was very young, my mother said to me, you know, um, look at Steven, he identified something he wants to do and he's studying up how you get a job in those things. And that's what he's focusing his time on. And I I said, yeah, but I don't know what I want to do. And she said, well, what do you do when you finish all of your chores and you have nothing left? No homework, no chores, and your friends aren't around. And I said, I listen to music. And she laughed and said, well, get a job listening to music. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. But would you define yourself as a business person? Is that your... Um, I've grown into one. (laughs) I... um, I would say that when I started, I had ideas. I wasn't clear about what it took to get to where I am now. Um, But I was clear that uh, I needed to learn a lot. And uh, over my career in the business, I have found uh, a number of people who have served as mentors, different lawyers in the music business who um, have been around for a long time and have sort of seen uh, this show. people in other industries, uh, peers who in many respects, people would think of them as peers, but I view them as mentors, uh, in many ways because of their particular, um, not only their skill set or domain expertise and things that sort of fall outside of what people think about the music business, but also their willingness to, um, help and be, uh, an ear, um, and offer opinion and perspective. Um, and I found that as much as it was important to find people who've been there, done that, it's also really important to find people who are going through the same thing that you are, even if it's not in the same industry. Hmm. Well, when I ask uh, if you think of yourself as a business person, I should probably point out to listeners that we're, we're sitting here in your office <laughs> and we're surrounded by something like 130 people working yeah. at downtown yeah, it is a business. Yeah, it looks a lot <laughs> um, like a business, I have to I th- say. I think people think <laughs> about the music business and they think that you literally do just sit and listen to music all day. And um, most of pop culture references about the music business, whether it be Hollywood or what you read, um, does suggest it's a, you know, a little bit more of a game than a business. Um, but we, we do run a real business here, you know, and um, I think our segment of the music business that we're focused on, rights management, does... Um, look and feel a lot more like a, a, a true business 
uh, than I think people think about the you know the arts. Um, what I love about it is that on the one hand, our business does focus on investing in and supporting the careers of um, extremely talented creators and looking after some of the most important sort of song copyrights in the world, whether it be Summertime by Gershwin or Imagine by John Lennon or um, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper's Shallow, which was written by some of our songwriters. Um, great, you great. Know, to investing in what we believe are the next generation of, of songwriters and artists, um, a young woman from Australia named Stella Donnelly, a, uh, a fantastic uh, singer-songwriter from the UK named Yola, um, who signed to Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys label, mm-hmm. and um, Cautious Clay, who we signed with Ryan Tedder, who's also one of our clients here at Downtown. And um, it's amazing to get to spend part of my day uh, thinking about great music and how we can support getting it into the world. Um, but at the same time, you know, we also run a technology platform that enables songwriters, um, rights holders at all levels to collect their money from hundreds of income sources around the world. And that, um, that business is, you know, certainly one of the fastest growing parts of our business. It's not a creative business, but the work it does supports creativity and it helps um, you know, rights holders, creators, musicians, artists collect their money and, and many of them choose to then reinvest it back into the art that they're making. And the fact that we're able to do that at scale, offering that service to, you know, what amounts to 170,000 songwriters and music publishers now, um, collecting money from about 100 countries, it's a, it's a real 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week operation. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you're talking, I, I, I remember uh, that you started out as an A&R person, right? So you still have that love of developing artists. Yeah, uh, I, I love it. I've largely um, given up being the um, arbiter of this company as to what we're going to back. <laughs> we have some incredible people on our A&R team um, led by Andrew Gould out of Los Angeles, but he has a team around the world of about 15 people um, who are... Uh, just true passionate folks who have you know not only encyclopedic knowledge of of music and awareness of the markets that they're based in whether it's you know people like laura in paris or rachel in sydney um or our team down in nashville it's not just the market expertise that they have where they are but how that music connects around the world and the fact that we're living in a borderless world you know so um we really try to to sign develop and focus on acts that are interested in seeing their music travel globally because we believe that that will happen inevitably, right? Like music from anywhere in the world can reach any corner of the earth in in seconds. Um, And so we look for artists who are actually excited about that proposition. So that makes me um, think how the nature of uh, your business, how has your work changed along with the changing it's not landscape, cloudscape or something. <laughs> how's, yeah. how's, you know, as you've grown this business, how has your work changed? So um, when we started uh, in 2007 at Downtown, um, the focus then was an emphasis on signing and um, established songwriters and acquiring some small catalogs of uh, that were available in the marketplace and, and working a, a very small um, group of, of songs and songwriters 
And uh, what I realized over time is that certain facets of the business work really well in a smaller environment and other facets of the business work really well in a larger environment. Um, when the shift came, you know, when we shifted away from downloads and to streaming and Spotify was sort of established a year after we formed downtown. So kind of writing was mm -hmm. on the wall that that was all happening. We all knew where this was going. You know, people were watching videos on YouTube at the time. Um, there was a, there was a shift to, you know, where is the money going to come from in the future and how can we invest in songs and songwriters that are going to participate in this new economy? And one of the things we realized was that, well, nothing's really changed. There's been many format changes in the music business over time and that ultimately, um, great songs stick through. Great songs are very valuable. They're not just valuable to people who pay for streaming services, but it's something we think about a lot, right? Which is this idea that there's so much discussion about what's changed, like how you consume music has changed. And I think that that's actually an overdone conversation. I think too many people are focused on how many specific streams a song has on Spotify. But if you think about music consumption in the world, so much of it is passive. There's a car driving by right now as we're talking. Yep. And this guy's playing his music so loud that the whole street can hear. This will represent a meaningful percentage of what normal people will consume musically all day. They didn't pick it. It happened passively. <laughs> and no one is really talking yeah, about the true. fact that passive music consumption hasn't really changed. You walk into a cafe, there's music. You walk into a hotel lobby, there's music. You walk into a very specific section of Walmart, there's very specific music catered to the very specific people they think are shopping there. I haven't been in a Walmart in a long time because in New York City we don't have those. Um, but that's what I hear happens. Every brand under the sun has people directly working for them or indirectly working for them, helping to select the soundtrack to their brand. And they're pumping it through. Radio, it's still tremendous no matter what people say. And I think that most normal people, it's a passive experience for most of what they're actually consuming. And the, what has changed is their active listening experience has changed. They no longer go into a record store. They no longer exclusively choose a radio station and then get passively consumed mm -hmm. what's on there. They are able to select from playlists and things of that nature. And that's changed. But again, I think it's an unbelievable focus on, on the active component and a, and a very limited focus on the passive component. And again, our industry misreading how people are actually consuming music is nothing new. It's why Napster didn't take off when it should have. Um, it was amazing to me how when uh, Spotify launched in the United States and I had access to all music ever, I was like, great, it's just like 15 years ago, except now it's legal. Um, you know, that, And so when you go back to how things have changed, one thing that's absolutely changed is advocacy. Um, we have had to advocate for the rights of songwriters and creators at large in a world where technology companies came onto the scene and really have taken advantage of some pretty, you know, egregious and what I would say unintended loopholes of copyright law um, here in the United States and around the world, such that, you know, quite a big chunk of my time and the industry's time at large is now spent um, defending the rights of creators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, interesting t to talk about passive listening, and uh, I was just reading this week how. In fact, Walmart is tailoring their experience. AI is is tailoring. Uh, they're using AI to tailor shoppers' experience and to point them in the right direction. Sure. And to, 
the role of AI in, uh, as a content creator, I mean, curator. Yeah, 100%. I, uh, I think, you know, I personally, I still believe that like DJing is an art form. You have to mm-hmm. watch the crowd. Um, you have to be able to provide context. And I guess, you know, in some limited instances, there's an example where, you know, software could do that better. But truthfully, um, I, I still, you know, you know when there's a good DJ. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I th- as you're talking about Spotify and um, these new streaming, they're not new, but these streaming platforms, I, I see them adding in curatorship. Yeah. And, basically DJs yeah I think it's interesting like they are adding in some instances like Apple Music there's a significant emphasis on um, people as DJs Mm -hmm. uh, and human beings and people injecting their point of view Um, it's the whole Beats One platform and then of course you have other um, other ways that people think about playlists as ways to sneak in um, lower cost content Mm -hmm. and so they play you like three songs that you might like and then there's this fourth song that you that sort of sounds kind of like the other stuff, but you've never heard it. And it's probably there because it costs them less money for you to stream that song than the more well-known stuff. I I think those are not going to really work over time because, you know, uh, the best part about streaming is being able to click to the next song. I also think that's kind of the worst part about streaming is that (laughs) people aren't forced. (laughs) I mean, yeah, listen, there there are some songs when we were, when I was first coming into the business, there was always this talk of like, that's a one listen record. It takes right. one listen and you're right. done. Right. It just absorbs you. And, um, but there were other great songs, beautiful songs that required more of you. They required two, three, four, five listens. And I'm, I've always been a bit nervous in the streaming era that that goes away because it's so easy to click forward. And of course, Clicking forward predated my entry to the music business because the CD made that really easy. Um, but with radio being so dominant, you could sort of bang the song a bunch of times on the radio, and then of course, you you know people would would, would fall for it. And it's really those two, three, four, five listen ones that I, I feel are suffering, um, breaking through to the core. Um, but you know, at, at the same time, you know, technology is technology, and you got to keep up with it. Well, you talked about Shallow, that great Beautiful song. song. Great, amazing. You know, it's still about the song, right? That You know, uh, gorgeous song, connected, sang by one of the biggest pop stars in the world with the first, you know, public vocal performance by one of, you know, Hollywood's you know, most significant names right now in an excellent film. Ah. Uh. that uh, had a message, frankly, that I think resonates now more than at any other time. And I think a lot of people thought that song was great uh, when they heard it in the trailer for the first time. I think the way so many people, millions of people were introduced to that song with through the lens of a songwriter Mm -hmm. um, and how Gaga you know, was like actually a creator and and getting to see the behind the scenes of songwriting as its own unique art form endeared a lot of people to that song. And then that week after week after week, January till March of winning award after award after award (laughs) on national and global television, um, that hammered that thing home. And when you think of like iconic music performances on television, I think you'd have to go way back 
to find anything that touches what she and Bradley did at the Oscars. It was exceptional. And that's how a song cuts through, mm -hmm. you know, and it really does require all of those elements. Yeah, this is sidebar, but uh, I, I saw that, f saw the film in a big theater with a full sound system. The film had such a, an amazing, lush production. Yeah. It was like old school. Yeah. Just amazing players, amazing production. Yeah. It was really uplifting. I found yeah. it really uplifting. Yeah, I think, you know, um, one of the things about Hollywood cutting corners when it comes to music, as, as they do sometimes, is that when they don't cut corners, you can really tell. Wow. We could compare it to another current film about uh, a rock thing and uh, the quality of production was not anywhere comparable <laughs> but <laughs> leave the criticism for yeah me. that's I'm not gonna be um, so your your business deals in creative rights management songwriting the culture broadly you're surrounded by music and um, creativity and musicians and singers uh, creative staff, a small staff of 135, I might. Um, do you think of yourself as creative? Um, not in the traditional sense. I can't play anything. I still have painful memories of my mother dragging me to learn how to play piano <laughs> and my failing. To this day, I can barely <laughs> tap something out. And then there were those, what I call the horrible years of trumpet. Um, where I just there was this I mean I had it was like that classic yeah. like dungeon um, you know musical <laughs> instrument school where it's like they sold the music instruments on the ground floor and then the music like rehearsal spaces were in the basement and I used to have to go in there and learn to play trumpet and I was so bad and I knew I was bad and I didn't understand why I had to why I was forced and I and I think you know part of it was that I I didn't, the music at the time that they would sort of have you perform was not something that I connected with at all. Mm -hmm. I think that was part of the challenge. Um, but I think, you know, I've learned to appreciate creativity and have surrounded myself and generally find myself surrounded by creative people, um, my wife included, who is an artist and designer and, um, you know, is a constant inspiration. And when I think about, like, what creativity means i think it's as much you know putting it out into the world as it is appreciating and absorbing it and sort of looking at the world through that lens um, when i meet people who are very rigid and view the worlds in 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 numbers um, or in a very sort of black and white way i i typically don't get along with those people mm -hmm. um so my phone is ringing uh-oh That's off. You can take it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what was it? Andy Warhol said that his art was business. Yeah, you and know, and that's and that and that's a great that's a great way to think about it. You know, I think like, you know, creativity. It's uh, I think people oftentimes just assume they connect it to the arts as opposed to a mindset. You know, and I think really what being creative is about having an open mind. 
um, and being able to kind of articulate that in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So. Well, you're a, you may not be a player, but you're a listener, right? Oh and, yeah. And you're not a passive listener. You're, no. You were you listened and then you became involved. <laughs> yeah. No. There is a moment. You know. It, it bothers my wife quite a bit that like a, like she'll say something and I'll sometimes respond with like a lyric because it's just built into like she'll say the first three words of a song without knowing that she was doing that and I'll just end it and she'll be like can you not do that anymore um, and she also hates when like a song comes on and I'm like ugh I wanted to sign the writer of that song but they signed a so and so She's like, can you just enjoy the song? <laughs> um, so I, you know, but I do, I, I, I really do. And, you know, I think one of the things about being a listener and, 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 and seeking out music, both professionally and, and personally, is that, you know, you get introduced to new cultures, to new people, to, um, you know, like different ways of experiencing the world. And, and music has, you know, taken me all over the world. I've gotten to see places and things and meet people and eat food that like, I, you know, as a kid, I could have never dreamed of. Um, so, you know, it's all it is all because I have been a listener. Mm. I was, th- you know, many people, uh, many people, creative people think of themselves as outsiders. And I wondered if you think of yourself as an outsider. I, I've always felt that with respect first to the music business. Um, I didn't know anyone in the music business when I got in quotes into the music business, whatever that means. You know, I, I applied for internships in an industry I literally knew nobody in. And um, I always felt that like, like everyone else, well, not everyone, but a lot of people around me had stories of like, oh, you know, my dad was this or my brother was that or my cousin or I went to school with it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know any of you people. And everyone was new, you know, everyone I met was new. Um, and, you know, so I kind of had, to, uh, in a way, create my own community. But I think one of the things that has been interesting at downtown, I think about the outsider, we think about it a lot as we've expanded the business to different markets, you know, and, and um, one of the ways that I've always found to have the best experience as an outsider is to find an insider, mm. you know, and have them guide you. And I think we have been able to do that in a lot of markets around the world. Um, we spent a lot of time, even you know, places as close as Nashville, we spent a lot of time thinking about how we were going to go into that market. Greatest songwriting capital in the world. The, the art of songwriting in Nashville is treated um, truly like nowhere else. And when I think about that experience, I mean, you know, my uh, colleague Andrew Bergman and I probably did a dozen trips to Nashville in a two-year span, talking to people, meeting people, meeting them when they came up to New York talking to other people who'd set up businesses, closed shop. And then one time we were talking to someone who had been down there. They're like, you got to stop coming down here. You just got to hire someone here <laughs> who will show you the light. And that gentleman, Steve Markland, has been with us since uh, 2014 and has done an absolutely stellar job um, helping introduce us and downtown to everything great about that community. And at the same time, introducing what's great about downtown to that community. Um, and I think we found a very um, happy medium of, of what works. And, and, and I think in all markets in the world, we kind of think about life through that lens. Like, 
you know, who, who is the great local mm-hmm. person who can guide us, tell us what's missing in the market, how we can add value. And to be perfectly honest, there are places in the world where we've looked at going and we either haven't found the person or we did and we realized that it wasn't the right time for us. We weren't going to just sort of like drive ourselves into every place and mm-hmm. we're just being methodical about it. But that I think is what being an outsider is about is just understanding that like, you know, there's uh, many years of culture and tradition and um, a way of, of, of business and life and, and, and artistry that, that is different in every part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're uh, talking about business and community is a recurring theme. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm vaguely familiar with downtown, some of the people involved in community development seems to be core to to what you do here um and then i wonder how you a how you think about community and business and then what what you see your role in community as sure personally i I think you know so first off with respect to you know community and business um you know this whole like concept the, the big pr terms like being a good corporate citizen it's ridiculous you know, I think um, it, it is innate to us, uh, senior management team. It is innate to many of our staff. It's something we talk about a lot in interviews, the importance of um, being a, a, a member of your community and recognizing that businesses um, like city government, like state government, like federal government, have a responsibility to the communities that they're in. Um, and I think, you know, same thing with people individually. And I think, you know, this concept that, you know, municipal government or state or federal government can do it all is ridiculous. Um, you know, the incompetence of certain levels of those governments here in New York City and New York State prove that uh, a tremendous amount of outside help from the private sector is required to keep this place going. Um, and I think a lot of individuals. Uh, as as philanthropic as they may want to be, as community-oriented as they may want to be, between their work life and the pressures of family life, don't necessarily have the opportunity to do that individually. And I, I do very much firmly believe that it is, it is imperative that any company, particularly any company that chooses to um, HQ in New York City, that they become a part of the fabric of this community. I mean, here at downtown... Um, and across all of our businesses like you know everyone gets volunteer hours and if you don't have them for something you want to do personally we organize two or three events a year um, for people to participate and it's a it's an important part of the business I mean you know co-founding New York is music with you is an important part of the business and it speaks to you know the importance of what we're trying to trying to build I think beyond that you know board memberships on some of the larger artist advocacy organizations and again, whether or not community means the city you're in, the state you're in, the country you're in, or the world, it's a really important piece. Um, when I think about our company and what the artists are doing, I think it's a hugely important part as well. I think um, you know when there are major events that happen around the world, uh, the way in which artists write and respond to that is really interesting. And I think for many years, you know, certainly in the 60s and, and, and to some degree in the 70s and 80s, there was a, a, a huge amount of advocacy driven by songwriting um, and a huge amount of awareness driven by songwriting. 
And for many years, people said, why is that taking a back seat? And what I would say in response to that is that there are a lot of great songs impacting uh, all across the world in many different genres of music that are touching on topics that, you know, are pretty deep and are and people are pretty surprised by you know and whether mm-hmm. or not that's you know current like you know uh, opioid addiction and thing of that nature or you know um, some of our writers wrote a song called the bullet um, which is about gun violence that was sung by Carrie Underwood mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you know could you imagine five years ago never mm-hmm. supporting those songwriters um, in that craft uh, and in their storytelling and in having their art be part of the community and be part of community building, we think is an extremely important part of our mission. And then uh, are there uh, outside issues that you're passionate about? It may be a check the box kind of thing. Well, um, I'm very passionate about the city of New York yeah. and its role in the world. Um, I grew up observing New York becoming the safest city in the world and all of the positives and some of the negatives uh, associated with that. Um, And I have watched uh, the prior administration, the Bloomberg administration, achieve many extraordinary goals that have been replicated all around the world. Um, The smoking ban, for example, I think is extraordinary how that, of course, happened in many other places. But when it happened in New York City, you know, the rest of the what's the phrase, the rest of the world fell like dominoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bike share. Amazing what that's done to, you know, change people's perception of their relationship with the city is amazing. Uh, And I think it's for me personally, the reason I'm so passionate about New York and getting it right here is that the whole world follows every time, time and time again. And, you know, when we fail, as we are now in so many ways, the rest of the world fails too. Because frankly, when Paris gets it right, it's cool and it makes the news for like five minutes, (laughs) but it's not the same thing. And, you know, I applaud what so many other cities are doing and frankly, what they're doing to lead the way and, you know, put us to shame in so many areas, whether it be education, um, whether it be environmental issues, whether it be in just, you know, voter turnout, which is abysmal in New York City, yep. in, in such a liberal place where where in these times you can't imagine voting being more critical and seeing, you know, single digit turnout for like critical races it's like what are we doing as a as a city um you know but on the flip side i've seen what happens when we get it right and i've seen how quickly um different administrators different people in the private sector are able to move the city uh in many incredible ways and there's a lot of amazing stuff going on right now i don't want to like just you know knock everything but i do think that we have have taken a backseat in a lot of in a mm-hmm. lot of areas and there's a tremendous amount of room for improvement mm-hmm. uh shift to shift gears a little bit uh i'd usually close with a couple questions sure like basically what's inspiring now my kids i have a three-year-old and a 16-month-old mm-hmm. and like watching the world through their eyes and as 
amazing. I mean, I have not like the stuff that comes out of their mouth, the <laughs> wonderment over things that like I forgot were interesting. Yeah. It's like that's, you know, number one and number two, although they're tied. And the yeah. younger one is like getting the age where she's beating up the older one. Sort of funny to watch, but uh, it's amazing <laughs> to uh, it's amazing to watch them to watch them grow, and they're definitely um, the most inspiring thing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we covered a lot. Um, yeah, that's great. And uh, I want to thank you for hosting us at uh, Downtown Music Publishing here in Soho, at least for a little while longer. Yeah. At least a little while longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and just say thank you. Thank you. That was great. That was fun. And that's it for today's Harvey at the Undisclosed Location. Today's Undisclosed Location was the headquarters of Downtown Music Publishing in Soho, New York. Thanks to our guest, Justin Kalifowitz. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. And... Uh, Please stay tuned. We have more great interviews coming up with amazing people talking about inspiration, creativity, and community.